This is the beginning of what hyper-Bitcoinization looks like. People want Bitcoin everywhere. Like, that means it's going to be everywhere. If Bitcoin's going to be global money, it needs to be everywhere. It needs to be in every single system that uses money. Hello there. Good morning from Argentina. We are about finished up here. Just got a small amount of recording to do this morning. Then we're done. The film is done. We're going to get out to you as soon as possible. I just want to say a massive thanks to everyone who's helped put this film together. The people of Argentina have been so hospitable to us. The food has been incredible. The hospitality has been unbelievable. I absolutely love this country. I cannot wait to come back. The people are so cool, so resilient. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the legends of Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Alex Thorne from Galaxy Digital on the show. We get into the BlackRock ETF, what it means for Bitcoin, and we also get a good old rap from Alex. Now, we've covered some of the potential downsides of the ETF with Odell, but like it or not, the ETF may get approved in the new future, and there are positives that come from it. You have to look at the signal, what it means for institutional investment, and maybe this will drive hyper-Bitcoinization. So let me know what you think on this one. I do want your feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly, what you think about the BlackRock ETF. Personally, I'm here for it. Pump my bags, Larry. Let's go. Drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Well, you still uh, smoke real cigarettes like a proper man. Well, I quit. Um, Not very well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. Don't don't go to these. Yeah, well, those are just so addictive. That's the issue. Like, um, And I was vaping for a long time and quit vape. And quit for like two months, like perfectly. And then just like drip, 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 like came back a little. And I was like, well, I'm not going to vape because then I'll be vaping everywhere mm. immediately. That was the idea. It was like I'll quit. I'll, like I'll smoke a cigarette here and there to um, help quit the vape. <laughs> the vicious cycle. I think it's. I think it's a good strategy. I think cigarettes are easier to give up than the vape. That's what I'm thinking because this thing you can just like vape anywhere. anywhere. And I did, and I'm sure you do too. It's just so easy. Do you vape on a plane? No comment. <laughs> uh, what were you telling me? Mashinsky's been arrested. Yeah, apparently Alex Mashinsky was arrested by the DOJ, right? Celsius founder, CEO guy, um, charged uh, SEC, CFTC, both brought cases against him. And also uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has some kind of weird order against them, which is, I think, the first time I've heard about that agency involved in crypto. So They're alleging a widespread multi-year scheme to defraud users of Celsius. Do they not know that he invented VoIP? <laughs> Did he? <laughs> Three. Was that his prior life? That's, uh, that's what he starts every uh, <laughs> every panel I ever moderated or thing I ever did with him that, in the old days. That would always come up. But I invented VoIP. That's his like credentializing to start the conversation. Yeah. I think even that was disputed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's definitely not listed on Wikipedia. It's weird because that guy, like you would see him at like conferences sometimes. And I, I, I didn't know him or even really ever talk to him ever, but I would see him occasionally. And he's, he's the kind of guy that just walked around and you looked at him and he just looked like guilty and sad. <laughs> like he just does. <laughs> Like, so it was like one of the least surprising, I think, of the blow ups is just is because he just looked 
and if you did hear him speak, you know, ever really, he was so overly hyper confident. There was the one that you moderated with Tone and, and Saifedean. Yeah, someone just put it up on Twitter. I saw like, that. That's why I was just seeing it again too. I remember the, when you guys did that. And they're like, "Oh, McCormack's trying to help him." It's like, no, I was moderating. Someone <laughs> yeah. said, "Can you moderate?" And it's like, when you moderate, you got to try and moderate yeah. moderately. I know. I I saw that criticism back then. It was silly. But when he said that, like everyone on Earth could earn seven percent interest, and Tone was like, "Dude, that's insane." <laughs> Uh, I hadn't seen Tone for a while since he uh, accused me of being a communist, but it was good to see him. <laughs> I, like, I like Tone. Uh, I like historic Bitcoin Tone. Um, yeah, Machinsky, fuck that guy. Uh, I've, I hung out with him a few times at conferences like moderating panels, uh, New York, I did one in uh, and Hong Kong, Token 2049, he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was something called Shady about Celsius. Yeah. But uh, I guess he might end up in jail. Yeah, I mean, like, like criminal charges for doing bad deeds in crypto are starting to become a thing. Yeah. Um, are you going to rap for us? Yeah, I'm going to rap. <laughs> I got a rap for you. I can't believe this when Daddy told me. <laughs> All right. I'm not rapping with you. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I just, um, I used to, like, i was been rapping since I was 14. Like, we had various, like, friends of mine, various rap groups. Um, and then I played piano and, and the drums and started making beats. So like from 2010 to 2018 or so, I probably made like three or 400 rap instrumentals. Wow. So then I just have all of these. I mean, I was working at Fidelity, so I wasn't like a rapper. <laughs> it was purely extracurricular. <laughs> I, was um, in, I was in a hip hop band once. I know you said that. Yeah. The Mad Cowboys. The, yeah. <laughs> With a Z. With a Z. <laughs> my, our, my first, uh, our first group was called the Uncouth Establishment. It's like pretty Ooh. good name for like 15 year olds. That's kind of a Bitcoin name. Yeah, I know. In fact, oh I mean, God. we didn't mean to resurrect that. I was with my friend Alex Farber, so they're like we were at rival schools, but we were the only two kids in each school like hip hop. Yeah. And they announced a band night at my school. You know those like band nights? And we're like, let's do a hip hop band. And uh, so we we wrote three of our own songs, and then we did a cover of Danger by Blase Blase. Incredible. Do you remember Blase Blase? <laughs> yeah. We did a cover of that, uh, and then two days before it, I. No, the day before I put my hand through a window. See this scar? Oh, man. And I was like, I was in hospital and I was like, I've got to play this gig. And they say, you've got to, you had to stay because I had an operation. And I checked myself out, <laughs> put on my Timberland sweater. That's metal. <laughs> metal's F, dude. <laughs> Went out and wrapped in front of the school. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a scene from Lose Yourself or from um, um, Eight Mile. Tom, Tom played in a band that night. Did he? Yeah, with our friend Tim and Dom. Dom, you know the interview I did in... Um, I know what you're going to say in Colombia. In Colombia? Yeah, yeah. That guy. With the guy who's having drug problems. Yeah, so him, our friend Tim, who sadly died a couple of years ago, is really sad. Uh, a, a kid who got cancer at 18 and then beat it. But I think it ravished his system. But they, they, I can't remember what the name of their band was. They all came on stage in dresses. <laughs> <laughs> like rocked out like Nirvana. And we came on and rapped. <laughs> God, those are the good old days. The good old days. Uh, so you, you don't, it's not, you're actually probably into hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, properly. I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been listening to rap music since I was maybe like twelve. I mean, I, I pirated Slim Shady LP in like yeah. nineteen ninety nine and sold it on CDRs throughout my middle school. Love it. Like, <laughs> can you agree with me that modern modern hip hop and rap is shit? Yeah, um, I totally do agree. I don't like the these. I don't know what to call it now, but it was like the trap rap influence yeah. that really got excessive. But I mean, there are a couple names that I like out there in that genre, like Polo G and like um, I, I like Juice World, although R.I.P. But yeah, um, but there is a whole other class of 
rappers that are like pushing back on that, right? Like Kendrick and Eminem and Logic and oh, Joyner I, Lucas, like they literally actively talk shit about. I think um, you're going to back me up here, Alex. Yeah. Pete has one of the worst takes ever where he says, <laughs> there's been no classic album since Back to Black. I think the last great music album that was made, if in 50 years you do like the top 100 albums, the last great album made was Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Wow. And I think there's been a, uh, a legendary album since. There's been good music, a legendary album since. It's the last great album. I've got some weird takes on this, and I don't know why this is coming to mind. It's not rap at all, but 1989 by Taylor Swift, I think is an absolute banger of an album. Uh, uh, I don't mind Taylor Welcome Swift. Welcome to New York. I literally don't think I know I said to Pimp a Butterfly, though. It's not my favorite Kendrick album, but I think it's a classic album. Well, people have been talking about Taylor because of the whole SBF, like, FTX thing with mm -hmm. her, where she had supposedly, like, turned down a sponsorship because she was asking incisive questions about whether FTX traded unregistered securities. Did you see that whole story? <laughs> no, but I love it. So apparently she was like so incisive. She like was before she took Sam's money to like rep FTX. She's like asking about the Howie test and stuff. Turned out that's not true. Like actually they did sign it and Sam backed out of this deal. That was like what recently came out. So anyway, so I, that's why, maybe that's why Taylor Swift is on my mind when we talk, you know, Bitcoin markets. I don't mind it. She's just announced a tour in the UK. If yeah. my daughter wants to go, I'll go. She's um, but uh, I think Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar is massively overrated. You think so? I can, honestly. Dude, Good Kid, Mad City, that double album is banger, dude. No, don't banger. like it. To uh, Pimp a Butterfly was fire. Like, he, I like him a lot. He recommended I I checked it out. I don't think Kanye's done anything decent for ages. Yeah, that's Yeah, true. Kanye's a polarizing figure, like, setting aside his personal life, like, yeah. even in music, right? Because he's evolved his music so much. But, like, College Dropout, like, the first album is, mm -hmm. like, an absolute, you know, masterpiece. Yeah, and I love that track he did with Dilated Peoples. Um, I, I used to love that. Yeah, of course. Um, but I don't, I just think, I think about shit now. The only stuff, my son's really into drill. Do you listen to any of the UK drill stuff? No. Uh, you, one act you will kind of know kind of crosses over a little bit with that is Central C. Yeah, I yeah. check him out. You don't, you don't know Central C? So some of the stuff my son plays me, I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> but I'm always, I think the lyrics are shit. Yeah. I don't think there's, I don't that think people write any good lyrics anymore. And so I'm always playing him old stuff and trying to get him into just kind of like the stuff I listen to. I mean, this is like iconic, right? You're like everything was always better. Like yeah. <laughs> we're all going to think that. I had this joke. I was thinking about this joke. I had this tweet, which I haven't tweeted because it's a little incendiary, but it's like, like we need all these old people to die. All right. So that we can take over and live forever. <laughs> right. Like, and that's like, I feel like every generation's attitude. I've made a, Rapper friend through Bitcoin. Oh yeah, yeah. I've made friends with Ra the Rugged Man. Dude, Ra is sick. Dude, dude, that song I'm famous. I'll make you famous. You I know mean, that song? His first album. I love Ra, dude. He's crazy. So his first album. What was it called? He did the track Lessons. Um, Ra, what's the message for today? Um, I went to see. He didn't. He toured. He didn't play the UK. But he played Amsterdam. So me and my ex-wife went out to see him. It's like 25 years ago. I mean, I love the guy. <laughs> He ends up following me on Twitter and then it's like starts asking me about Bitcoin. Let's go. Yeah. So we've been trying to set it up to get him on the pod. Dude, I love RA. Yeah. That he's like that is niche like quality rap right there. Yeah. I'm, the song fame, I'm not gonna do like the rap because it's a little it's a little vulgar too. He's like he's a little bit of a vulgar rapper, but um Do you know his famous, old story? I'll make you famous. I forgot. I used to know. He got it. signed to like Jive Records. Back when that was um Yeah, like a big Yeah, then he kind of had like some kind of mental breakdown. And then um, it didn't happen for him. And then he disappeared for a while. And then he came back and did that first. I can't remember. Was it called Lessons or? His first album? Yeah. Uh, Die, Rugged Man, Die. 
Yeah. Uh, Lessons, is that the first track? Uh, I miss, I, I don't, yeah, it is, yeah. I don't listen to that much. The only time I tend to listen to hip-hop now is after my son puts some of his shit stuff on. I make him <laughs> listen to good stuff. Well, what about, like, what about, like, Chronic 2001? Yeah, that's a great album. Absolute fire, dude. But that's old school. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, no. it's like on the cusp, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm digging out my old play. Dre was supposed to release... Um, um, his like follow up album for like Never 15 came. years. Yeah. I think he did. He did actually finally release an album. But that was under like a different, I think that was a whole new album. I, I know. That's was, what I mean. Cause yeah. he was supposed to have, he had that song. I need a doctor with M yeah. Yeah. that was supposed to be like, I think a single on this mythical album that never got made. Yeah. So I always put on this, um, playlist for my son. It's like mob deep lost boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big L rugged man, rock him. Always put on 18th letter by Rakim. I'm like, this is proper hip hop. Listen yeah. to this. He's like, Dad, this is shit. Capone and Noriega. The only one I've got them to love is Hit Em Up by Tupac. That's a phenomenal song. Yeah. <laughs> Get money. Right. Yeah. It's a first off. <laughs> I'm not going to do that one. Yeah, I'm not going to do that one. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, dude, Tupac, though. Awesome discography, yeah. too. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I, the lyricism now, though, is terrible. Like, terrible. on balance. There are some rappers out here still trying to, like, write actual poetry but like it's it's bad yeah it's terrible yeah the mainstream is ugh. which is setting you up now it's rough <laughs> to show them how to do it i'm gonna come in and show these young kids <laughs> show these motherfuckers. honestly if i hadn't done a podcast for the last uh six years and my voice got a little bit more yeah. english and posh i would have rapped with you but i would sound like a fucking idiot <laughs> well one day we'll do a live yeah we'll do okay, a gig. we'll do it live Yo, motherfuckers. <laughs> I, do a, I do a covers one with you. All right. Now you should say Intangible Coins is my <laughs> rap name. Yo. Yo. Live on what Bitcoin did. It's 2023 and I'm ever omniscient. You can't shut me up, dog. I'm sensor resistant. I'm falling down a rabbit hole. No ripcord, kid. See me spitting bars on the pod with Bitcoin, kid. You could hear me on a beat dropping Bitcoin heat. Or see me on the street with Danny and Pete. Or catch me at the park doing hashes after dark. Cause when I go to start my flow, I never ever larp. Yo, I keep it savage. I spit above average. No pitiful salad, only digital cabbage. No chat GPT. I'm a true rhyme bot with generational raps, dog. Call it a time lock. I'm throwing everything at you. The kitchen sink, the vacuum, even the doormat. When I come to attack you and Peter McCormack standing ready to slap you. And a whole mem pool of homies ready to smack you. Let's yeah, go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking That's wicked, so man. Love that. That's uh, fun. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit too... Middle class and Bedford to write raps anymore. <laughs> I get it. I did. I did. I did want to write one once about about that about being that kind of person. <laughs> so those like, types of satires, raps yeah, are so good. I was I was working on one about not being a bad man because I've got anxiety and a pension plan. <laughs> 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 the fucking brilliant. That's I love good. that. So you were. Uh, so you, uh, what, you don't have a rap name? Or you just, you Not really. Just like usually I'm and right now I'm using my, uh, well, I'm, I'm like in clear net, dude. I'm doxxed, right? So it's just like Alex Thorne, I think at this point. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I, or if anything, intangible coins, which is my Twitter handle, right? Just like. <laughs> I was, a, I was MC Cormac. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. MC Cormac. That's good. From the rough streets of Kempston. I mean, cause keep in mind, right? Like I only started, I think when I, this rap public doing rap publicly is something I do on, on my podcast, which is the galaxy brains podcast 
for Galaxy. Like I'm a, <laughs> I'm the head of research at Galaxy. I'm essentially on a corporate podcast. So <laughs> there's no real reason at this at that point to have like a pseudonym, you know. You should ask to change your job title to head of rap I know. at Galaxy. I think uh, um, Noble called me the uh, Galaxy's poet laureate laureate once. I was like, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. I should get that. Do you have guests on your podcast? Yeah. I would maybe rap on yours first. So bring you on and you bring rap there. Bring me on as like a setup. That. I'll have to practice with Danny first. I think Rob <laughs> Hamilton is the only guest I've had that did brought their own rap also. It was oh. all about mini script. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> what, would I, what, what would I rap about? Hmm. Dude, you got a lot to rap about. You got to you got to talk shit about Ted Lasso. Football. He's not real. Fuck Tottenham. <laughs> I'm out of Zuby. Get Zuby. Get me write some raps, man. <laughs> Dude, good to see you. Big, big shout out. Big thanks to Galaxy for sponsoring Rail Bedford Ladies. Yeah. That is so fucking cool. When you guys got in touch, to be honest, I've been uh, pestering uh, Fabiano of mutual friend yeah. for ages saying support this. And when she heard about the lady, she said she was actually going to get involved. And then you guys got in touch and said, what can we do? And I was like, we sponsor our ladies. And they said, yes. Yeah. So big shout out because we have, it's something like 200, I think it's more than I thought, 270 girls aged uh, seven to 18 playing in our junior teams. Then we've got three senior teams now. And wow. I think we've got a disability team. I think so. Or a walking team. I can't remember. And every single player is getting all new kits. And I go along to their training sessions they're all in like, they've got kids, but they don't match. Um, they don't have, you know, they've got like, some have got uh, sweaters, some haven't. Depends if their parents have bought it. Now, every kid's getting a full kit. They're getting a training top. They're getting a waterproof and they're all going to look the same. So the, firstly, that's super awesome. Secondly, um, we're going to pay our ladies first team. I think we will be, we will definitely have the best budget and people will criticize us for that. But <laughs> uh, they shouldn't pay for play for free they work for the brand rail bedford and they have to travel and it's expensive and it makes us competitive and also we can put more money into our hardship fund which means any parent whose kid can't play because their parents have got no money because you know, times are tough we have a hardship fund which we can use for that so no kid cannot play football because of money in bedford and that's because of galaxy so thank you thank you so fucking much honestly yeah i like get a bit emotional thinking about it, well, it means so much we're extremely proud and happy to partner with you guys because i mean i think just personally there's a lot of us that are big fans of real bedford and and um and look i mean we love sports i mean right like uh, we have a lot of athletes at galaxy we love football we want it we want to support women and we we just love the idea dude and, and separately like i mean you know i've got the 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 jersey we we just love the team dude we love what you're doing over there it's one of the coolest things i've seen in bitcoin we're starting to get a lot of these really cool yeah. things i mean we're here in nashville at the park it's, yeah. it's also like it, it's almost like a surreal level of thing that you're building there with real bedford similarly like how i'm shocked at the how how effective the park is too um but we're just really happy to be involved yeah i, I mean i'm going on about it a lot at the moment uh and i'm gonna repeat something i've said in a different show in case they didn't hear it but uh we get a pushback on the football a little bit. Proper hardcore Bitcoin is like, I don't give a fuck about football. And I keep saying, I don't give a, keep saying this again and again, forget that it's football. It's a Bitcoin project. We're using the Bitcoin cheat code. And because of that, a whole bunch of kids are going to get to play football that can't. Amazing. And a whole bunch of people are going to learn about Bitcoin because of it. So forget it's football. It's a Bitcoin project like Bitcoin Park. Yeah. Like if you like Bitcoin Park, you should like Rail Bedford. It's the same thing. I agree. Different lens. Uh, but thank you so honestly it's having people like you and all the other sponsors means we're making a real difference to like a small town a deprived Bedford is love a that. deprived town yeah and we're taking on the big boys I love it 
Well, you guys got promoted to the men's team, right? You guys won yep. the league. Won the league and the cup, so we so, won the double. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't just a, like a marketing effort. You guys are the real deal. Oh, we work hard. I mean, yeah. Danny, you've been there. Mm. It's hard work. Yeah. There's a big shout out to Emma, my assistant, who now basically runs the club. My son, Connor, who's working hard. All the management. Will, who does all our social media. Like everyone involved works so hard. Today, we've been, uh, they've been arranging uh, goalkeeper tops for the friendlies, the friendly tomorrow's or now the clubhouse, like this endless stuff. Everyone's working hard to make this happen and no one gets paid for it. It's all volunteer. Yeah. It's all our extra time. It's amazing. But it is the Bitcoiners team. Uh, and I believe this is something if Bitcoiners get behind, we'll be super successful. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We're just happy to be involved too. And also just like, I mean, it's a it's an easy, all the, the good that your guys are doing. I mean, that's it's easy, right? It's not a pure like marketing for us. It's like just a way to get involved and help people and, and promote Bitcoin also. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and provides privacy by default. Now with Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi makes coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi just dropped a badass new feature. Now Trezor Suite users can coin join directly on the hardware wallet, which obviously is very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up, we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. And not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VOP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino has over 2,800 games and tournaments for you to try out, and with their 24-7 live chat support, you can always get help if you need. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Mutiny Wallet. All right, Mutiny is a new self-custodial Lightning wallet that runs in the browser. There is no download needed and it is even installable on your phone as a progressive web app. Now, Mutiny allows for instant onboarding with channels that open on the fly. It supports both on-chain and lightning transactions and has encrypted cloud backups protected by the seed words. It also integrates with Nostra using Wallet Connect to make zaps, tips, and even subscriptions possible directly from the wallet. Now, Mutiny is still early and in beta. So for now, just play around with it with some small amounts, but their aim is to be a great spending wallet. Mutiny is fully open source with MIT open source license. We love them. We love Tony. Go check it out. It's mutinywallet.com, which is M-U-T-I-N-Y-W-A-L-L-E-T.com. Also today, we have Unchained. Now, the events and exchanges and in traditional banks over the last year were all an important reminder of how critical it is for you to take control of your private keys. But taking ownership of your Bitcoin keys, you know what? It can be daunting. That's why our good friends at Unchained offer a personalized concierge onboarding service. Now, I have personally been through this process and set up the vaults for my football team, Real Bedford. And you know what? I know this is a personal recommendation here, but the multi-sig solution which Unchained have created is so easy to use. They ship the required devices to you and they walk you through it step by step 
so you can understand exactly how the vaults work. Now, after you set up, Unchained continues to provide you with regular support to help you get comfortable with controlling your keys. So if you've been putting off taking control of your Bitcoin wealth, Unchained's concierge onboarding is a simple way for you to get started. Get it done sooner rather than later. You can book your onboarding today at unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And at the checkout, you can get $50 off with the promo code what Bitcoin did. That is unchained.com, U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. Let's uh, give a shout out to Sebastian as well yep. from your team who's been really super helpful and supportive. Yep. Uh, shout out to Novo. I reached out to him and thanked him and, you know, it is a Galaxy project. So thanks to them and just, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll do you proud. Our goal <laughs> is, it's an ambitious goal because the ladies finished bottom of the table last year. The only reason they didn't get relegated is one team dropped out. So they stay in that division. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and win the league from finishing bottom. And I think we've signed some cracking young players. Uh, women's football's growing so fast. I don't know if... Actually, it grew here in the US yeah, first. Yeah, it did. Yeah, the US actually led the way with women's football. Uh, I mean, I, when I was growing up, like, Mia Hamm was, like, an yeah. all-star. She was very famous, like... Um, and that, I remember, blew the doors off women's soccer in the US. I have to call it soccer if we say US. All right. <laughs> call you, it football when we're talking if about If you preempt it with US. <laughs> who's the other player? Hope someone. She. Um, well, there's, and there's like uh, Rapoport, right? And, yeah. Um, they, they had a great. The last team had had a bunch of stars too from uh, the last uh, World Cup. Well, the English ladies just won the Euros, which yeah. is like the World Cup in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and the World Cup's starting soon, uh, and it's it's been a really interesting thing supporting because there is this like undertone of jokes and misogyny about women's football. It's it's bullshit, but it happens. Yeah. But the way I look at it is different. The way I wrote about it in our program is that. My dad played football when I was growing up. I played football. My, my brother tried to play football. Right, I played. Uh, um, yeah. And my mom washed all our kits, took us to training, supported us. And that's a case up and down the country. And I think it's now time to give it back to the ladies and support the ladies now that football's growing. Some of the uh, senior teams have been brilliant. What Arsenal have been doing uh, for their ladies' teams, incredible. Uh, Barcelona's, um, I mean, I think, didn't they set out the new camp one game? Did they? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Arsenal Tottenham ladies sold out the Emirates Stadium, 50,000 people, I think, or something. I mean, it's grown so fast. And commercially, it just makes so much sense. But it's also like they supported us, they support back. And so what Galaxy is doing is is like a step level change for a team like us. The money just enables to just do so much. So thank you. I'm so humbled by it. Absolutely. Right. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Uh, We're going to talk about BlackRock. Yeah, BlackRock. Yeah. Before we get into it, just tell people yeah. what you do uh, apart from rapping for Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm the head of research at Galaxy, right? And Galaxy, big um, financial services company in in Bitcoin and, and in the crypto markets, right? We have a big Bitcoin mining business, which is you, you referenced Amanda Fabiano. She runs that business. Um, we have a big trading company. We have a big asset manager. My, my guess is that we're the second largest crypto asset manager behind Grayscale. Um, I think what we've uh, whatever our last public number is like 2.5 billion under management there, right? Um, so I run research across this whole organization. So that's generating insights for internal and external clients, as in publishing public research. You can go and see all our research at galaxy.com slash research. Um, but also working with um, internal groups, right? Strategy type stuff like that, um, which is fun, um, right? You know, it's like a, we had a good hand, a good agreement when I joined from Fidelity that we would have our research team be like semi-independent, right? So I have total editorial control over what we publish. It's not marketing content. 
Um, so I think that's pretty unique, certainly for like a corporate. Um, it's it's a little bit closer to the way the like big banks and brokerages operate their research, which is that it's you know no nobody takes like the word of some analyst at a big bank that that is like the corporate line for the bank, right? It's like a smart person's view. Um, that's just what we try to do is share some interesting takes and always tell people why it matters, right? Not just like an ecosystem overview, but like give you like an incisive viewpoint. And if you disagree, that's totally fine. Um, but we generate discussion that way. Well, I read your thread about BlackRock and I'm going to refer to it a lot because I, th I think there were some good insights to it there. But uh, just let people know who BlackRock are yeah. if they don't know yeah. and what they're up to and why this means so far. Yeah, so I mean, it's a big deal because BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world, right? So they're 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 a, a, a mutual fund and an ETF company primarily, right? iShares is their ETF complex and it's massive, right? It's the, I think they've got, you know, over eight or nine trillion under management. I forget the exact number. So they're, they're the biggest. I believe Vanguard is the second biggest and then Fidelity is the third, right? So those are the top three asset managers. Obviously, Fidelity has been deep involved for in Bitcoin for a long time. Um, Vanguard, I haven't seen really anything from those guys, but now BlackRock hadn't been doing much, but having them put their stamp of approval, you know, again, through the iShares complex, which has like literally hundreds, 500 plus ETFs, right? They're like the ETF, like king. They probably are the cornerstone, cornerstone of most people's um, portfolios. If you have an investment portfolio, you probably have something that BlackRock manages in there. So it's a huge signal, I think. You know, Fidelity was a signal, but that signal was, you know, like five years ago when they started doing it. At this point, it's just a drip. You hear Fidelity doing something, you're not remotely surprised, right? Like, yeah. this is like a, a, an asset manager that kind of really sort of started the ESG movement in investing and has been negative on Bitcoin, right? Larry Fink, the CEO, has said it was for illicit uses, right? Now he's on TV explaining how it, is like digital gold and it can help protect you from the debasement of your national currency. <laughs> that is hope. Yeah, exactly. I don't know where I, I wonder where you heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's the it's the change, it's the pivot that is like so remarkable. And then obviously it's just like the stature of the firm. It's the biggest, right? Fidelity brings a lot of stature, but it's the third biggest. Number one biggest in the world, you know, saying that they think there's an opportunity for a Bitcoin ETF, especially given all of the negativity in the US regulatory complex over the last long time, but let's say over the last six months, people were like shocked that they came out with it right now too. So then it, it sort of feels like a dam might be breaking. Like would they, you know, I didn't think in, in 21, you had like all the other asset managers all filed. You had Wisdom Tree and Invesco and, and Fidelity. They all did like the last round of, of the ETFs and like they were wrong, I guess, right? Or they didn't get approved. Um, and so you just kind of wonder, like, is, is that going to be the same or like does BlackRock, you know, are they reading the tea leaves better than the others? Like they are the biggest like ETF provider. So maybe they know something or they have they 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 sense that now is the moment. Yeah, that's it's a good question. Dan, you know, Danny was saying it earlier. Why now? Yeah, that is the question. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's the conspiratorial view. <laughs> right. But it could be that just their clients are asking for it. Yeah. It could be that Michael Saylor got on the phone to Larry Fink and said, what the fuck are you doing, man? It yeah, could be it's, I don't think there's anything nefarious or conspiratorial. I think the question is, um, I definitely am sure there's client demand, I'm sure. And um, it's also, I mean, Bitcoin is, has matured a lot. Like markets are much more liquid. Like, I mean, right now they're less liquid 
than they were in like 22 and 21, but like it's, it's more transparent, right? There's many more um, of the markets infrastructure that you need if you're an institution, right? Like mm. in 2017, there was no custody at all. There wasn't right? like, there was no prime brokerage. There was no, um, there was barely any like surveillance tools. There just wasn't anything. Right. And so now there's a lot more, they have tons of New York trust companies they can custody with, or like, right. They, it's much more, um, conducive to institutional involvement, I think, than it ever has been. But but like literally on a micro question, why literally right now? It did, I mean, I think it surprised a lot of people with the SEC out here like suing everyone in crypto under the sun. Uh, but maybe that's also part of it, right? The SEC is not suing anyone over Bitcoin, right? No Bitcoin companies are being sued by the, no Bitcoin only companies, right? Yeah. Bitcoin is safe here from the regulatory you know, the eye of Sauron of the U.S. regulatory complex. So, like, I think, and that's probably never been more clear that, like, the other ones may not be safe, but Bitcoin definitely is. So, like, well, is it a digital commodity, right? I, I mean, in, you know, in the current onslaught. But, like, Larry Fink is rich. <laughs> yeah, His friends are rich. He has a lot of rich people parking their money with him. He, too, and his clients also suffer the effects of inflation, he too will have to be thinking about, well, how do I protect myself from inflation? Right. He will have seen other people talking about Bitcoin as a potential. You know, he will have possibly done the work and, and, and realized he needs it himself. Absolutely. This is a good asset for me too. If it's a good asset for me, it's a good asset for everyone. Yeah, just everyone comes to Bitcoin eventually. Yeah, and he said um, that BlackRock's goal has been democratizing access to investing. And that's what ETFs are, right? They make it incredibly cheap and easy to own stocks, for example. And that's what he said he wants to do with Bitcoin. That like, and I, I get this, it's not easy for an average person to buy and hold Bitcoin. But like, if you have an, an investment advisor, they can just like, bing, put that ETF right in your portfolio and you've got exposure. Now it's not, we all know it's not the same as you know, holding your own keys, right? But it's it's a way to bring Bitcoin exposure to the masses. And that's what they're experts in. Like that's, they pioneered that at BlackRock and in, in other assets with, with their ETFs. The, do we know much about the structure and how they will avoid getting themselves into a grayscale situation where there's both a premium and a negative and uh, that people end up being yeah. stuck paying Two percent, well, really four percent in perpetuity to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry, like they are to Barry, and therefore, actually, the whole thing really ended up stinking. Yeah, so there shouldn't be any discount or premium to the net asset value of that fund right. because they have active creates and redeems, right? So anytime there's okay. any dislocation, the market, the these authorized participants that they, the market makers will come in and create or destroy shares, right? They'll either deliver Bitcoin or remove Bitcoin and remove shares, right? And that's an active ongoing process for the ETF, for all, all ETF structures, right? And um, this is one, this is a trust that operates like an ETF, which is like many of them are. This was one of these like Bitcoin Twitter, like erroneous rabbit holes that people went down. They're like, that's not an ETF, it's a trust. And it's like, it's literally like, it's, it's what like GLD is. It's exactly the same as like a other commodity-based ETF like trust. Alan Farrington won't agree. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, uh, it, it is. It just, it, it, yeah. there, there shouldn't be anything like that, any kind of premium or discount issue. I mean, the same, this is what, you know, David Bailey and those guys want, the various activists on GBDC. That's why they say, like, redeem GBDC. If, if, if redemptions were to be allowed from that vehicle, like, the, the discount would evaporate, right? It's an ARB that can get closed. 
so that ARB's available to the auth authorised participants, but I think it's important to know that like we couldn't do that. You right. have to be worth, is it a thousand Bitcoin minimum to be an authorised? I, I don't even know. Actually, usually these vehicles like specify specific authorised parties that can do the, the create and redeem. So if it drifts from the prior, like from the actual price of Bitcoin and they get the ARB between the two. So do those authorised participants exist for the purpose of insuring? I think that's one reason, yeah. Yeah. They, they're the only people it, that can it, it'll redeem. It'll be like market makers, like it's yeah. like, it, and, and they, it won't drift. Like the second there's like a bip of drift, like they'll, they'll, take they'll it. close it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's it's it's, it, and that's why they stay real tight. The is there that six month hold period as well where you cannot trade the shares? You know, with Grayscale, I don't think so. No. Okay. No, there shouldn't be. This should be like a mega clean, like an S and P index fund. You can just buy it and sell it, like intraday all the time. Like should be that. That's that's why people want it, like because the. It would be so much easier to, particularly like in size, right? Like, I mean, it's, I have no problem going on River and buying Bitcoin at my size. <laughs> but if you're like a sovereign wealth fund, like even, you know, Bitcoin's pretty liquid globally, but like, it's not like move 100 million in and out of it liquid without impacting the market. Like we need more Bitcoin access vehicles will drive a lot more liquidity. And so something like an ETF like should increase the liquidity profile significantly of Bitcoin, which by the way, lets you, lets way more people get involved, right? If um, you, you can't get into a tiny asset, if you're a giant asset manager, no matter how good a bet you think it might be, it's like impossible. But how does, this might be a naive question, but how does this change that? Because even if you want to yeah. get into the ETF, you, they still have to buy the yeah, underlying yeah. Well, Bitcoin. The idea is it's just so easy that it'll be big. Like there but is, how, how, did, how did BlackRock get the Bitcoin? Like if, oh, they're, if, yeah, they're, if it's its size? Yeah, so when uh, when somebody comes in to buy the shares, right, and essentially an imbalance is created because they maybe buy the Bitcoin to feed the fund every morning or something, and it, at night a bunch of shares. So then the very next day, the market makers will create those shares and buy and deliver the Bitcoin. It's not inherently going to be liquid. I'm saying the Bitcoin ETF is going to be massive, and that will create an enormous amount of additional liquidity in the market, right? Like I'm just very confident that with a vehicle this simple and this accessible, you're going to see huge inflows into at least one of them, maybe several, depending on how it works. And that just helps grow the size of the Bitcoin's liquidity profile overall, which then makes it possible for much bigger investors, regardless of how they invest in it, to get involved. Well, so I was told a long time ago, I can't remember who, but there's certain people who want to get into Bitcoin, but being a $500 billion, $700 billion right. asset, it's not a big enough market. Exactly. It's too risky. They exactly. need it to be a, you know, two, three, four trillion or whatever it exactly. is. And, and when volatility comes down too, it makes it a lot easier to take a position, right? Because you can do your sizing um, you can size bigger, right? Because if you have a high vol asset, typically you're going to size it smaller, right, to account for that volatility. So if it's more liquid, much more widely held, likely volatility will come down. It has been coming down historically, like on a long time frame. That also will allow bigger capital to enter, right? Because they can enter in bigger size. The the Canadian ETF you mentioned, mm -hmm. did you say there was $400 million of trading on the first day? The first couple of days. first couple yeah. of days. Yeah, this is the purpose. So this, Four, yeah, 400 million. So this could be could be billions. I think it could be massive. Yeah. I mean, Canada has what, 25 million people? Yeah. So the US is more than 10 times bigger than that. So so if it is billions, is there the liquidity even to support that? And where would they be sourcing their Bitcoin from? Yeah, um, I think they've said BlackRock specifically that they're going to they're going to use Coinbase. I don't know if that's uh, if that will be how it happens, I think they can change that, right? But the surveillance sharing agreement question that all, all of them are like, 
answering, they've all picked Coinbase as the spot market that they have a surveillance sharing agreement with. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen those charts like Bitcoin on exchanges. Like, I mean, it's it's going to be a there's going to be a really interesting moment where a ton of demand is coming from BlackRock and they have to buy the Bitcoin from somewhere. But in a market like that, price moves up. Like, people will show up and sell Bitcoin. Oh, cool. So yeah. BlackRock, they will. But but where are, so it's something I don't even know. Where do Coinbase source their liquidity from? And like, does it get to the point where people are having to go into lots of different places to try and get it? Yeah, I mean, I think Coinbase mostly is using their exchange. They do. I think they have an OTC desk, so maybe they have other yeah. you know whales out there they know or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it, liquidity is extremely fragmented in Bitcoin, right? Mm. Like, um, it's a global asset, so like. It's not like when you buy Apple stock, it only trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. It's the only place on earth it trades, right? So, like, it's one nice central pool of liquidity for Apple stock. Um, that's not at all how Bitcoin works. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, like, we don't run an exchange at Galaxy, but we have a trading business that's an OTC trading business. And we source from our, from ourselves, from exchanges, from other OTC counterparties, right? I mean, it's like, it's a web and there will be a gap between the approval and the ETF going live. Yeah, I'm not sure on the specifics on that. Likely, we know what happened in that gap, though. <laughs> a lot, a lot of uh, movement. Think yeah. in Bitcoin. Yeah, people yeah. are going to go wild. They're going to front run the fuck out of that. <laughs> um, and BlackRock, as I understand it, have only ever had one ETF rejected. Supposedly, yeah, like one out of five hundred something or other. And I'm actually upset that somebody. I haven't done it either. But, um, you know, there's the guys, the Bloomberg guys like Eric Balkunas and um, uh, the other guy, Jeff, and like that they haven't gone and like, would you please look at the one that was rejected and tell us why, right? It's probably totally un something that's totally not applicable to this situation, I would bet. But but a lot of ETFs have been rejected. A lot of spot Bitcoin ETFs have been yeah. rejected over years. Uh, and I know uh, it's upset Hester Purse a lot. She's uh, regularly, regularly dissented based on that. Yeah. Um, who was the previous um, Prada uh, Gensler? It was Jay, Jay Clayton. Clay yeah, Jay Clayton. I think I even heard him come out recently. It was critical. He was a little bit critical. Yeah, he's yeah. been pretty measured overall in his criticism of the SEC. I think it's sort of like a collegial, you know, like that was your agency, like he respects the agency. But yes, I heard much more critical commentary from him too. I mean, Hester Peirce has been saying that like they're using a completely different standard to yep. reject this ETF compared to all others. And it is absurd, right? Like, they want the regulated market of sufficient size with surveillance sharing agreement. That's, like, the main ask, right? But, like, gold, oil, those have ETFs. Like, gold doesn't trade in one regulated market, even remotely. You can buy gold on the street in India, like, anywhere, right? Pawn shops could affect the price of gold. Oil is literally run by a cartel, literally, yeah. right? <laughs> like, so it, it just, the standard just seems off to me. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's the SEC has bitten off a lot, right? I mean, they're they're also rolling the dice in court cases all around the country right mm -hmm. now, and they may have strong cases in one or another. But like, court is. I mean, <laughs> anything can happen in court. Well, they just lost to Coinbase. Yes, that was like a pretty narrow. Uh, oh, you're. Um, uh, no, uh, that, this was on. Didn't Coinbase force them to have to? Provides. I can't remember what it was. No, what so they have the they have sure. the thing on um, their writ of mandamus, um, which is yeah. So they didn't really lose. It's like this is them suing uh, the SEC, Coinbase suing mm. them, saying you have to respond to our rulemaking petition from last year, and um, they did have they did respond to the suit. They didn't actually do the rulemaking or respond to that. They actually said um, basically we need like another hundred and eighty days. <laughs> but there's a lot of pressure coming. To even, I mean, I think uh, Warren Davison. Uh, yeah. 
I think it's just from Ohio has been putting a lot of pressure on them, especially Gensler. There's a lot of calls to have Gensler fired. I think it's just it. It's incredible that they haven't done formal rulemaking for the cryptocurrency markets in four years. So like they, it's true that we have a lot more clarity. I don't think we can say as an industry that like it lacks clarity. It's it did lack a lot of clarity. I think now it's pretty clear what the SEC's position is. It's just extremely stifling, right? And so. Um, and and it's not to say there aren't like reasonable asks in some cases what what they want right um, protecting consumers makes a ton of sense <laughs> there's no and there's certainly been a lack of it across a lot of the crypto complex no doubt um, but again like they could what you would you would do is you would bring in the industry you'd sit down you'd have the industry and the regulators sit together bring in some consumer advocates and some academics and you have a process a round table and you you hammer this thing out so that you can fulfill the mission of the SEC which is to promote capital formation and protect consumers right and they're like protecting consumers by just suing people everywhere rather than conduct like a much more thoughtful process uh, Rishi Sunak and like the FCA and the and His Majesty's Treasury in the UK have been much more thoughtful on this. Um, actually, like doing work and thinking about like how would like a Bitcoin market fit into our existing structures and blah blah. Mm. blah. The the thing is is like with the court cases, like you can win a court case and like not win the way you want and not get the precedent you want, or you can lose it but have it not really be a loss, right? There's such a range of outcomes that can happen. Like the SEC, in a worst case scenario for them, could find could could lose big ones, all of them, and find all of their power curtailed, right? Like that's totally possible. Like or or they could win them all, and the entire like cryptocurrency industry in the United States could be like obliterated, basically, including the Bitcoin companies. So that's, that's also a possibility. It's a really risky, like high octane strategy of mm. just pl plowing all of this through the courts. So, um, what do you, what do you think yeah. is happening though? What, what is, do you think this is all politically motivated? Do you think it's the power of people like Elizabeth Warren? Um, I, I think that there, there were a lot of lacks of disclosure in crypto that deserve to be looked at, right? Like, I'm not totally against the SEC's view here that, like, something needs to be done. I just hate the way they're doing it. Mm. Um, I think they're, it, I mean, it, Bitcoin has become, like, a little bit of a partisan issue, and I wish it would, weren't. I think, I don't think it is a partisan technology. No. <laughs> um, so, and I, and I think having money that, you know, like, the, that nobody can mess with is is not partisan, right? Every, everybody wants that, I think. Um, but there is clearly, I mean, you've got a big partisan divide here. And so, I mean, I think there is some politics involved. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, look, it's an interesting signal to the market. Uh, at our event the other night, everyone was talking about BlackRock. We were talking about BlackRock. Uh, Harry Suddock gave one of the most insightful comments when he said, look, just look at the signal that, that this gives. This is Larry Fink telling the world that Bitcoin's okay. And so you start to think, like we can discuss and we will discuss the risks and the fears that Bitcoiners have, but you could see, or you are, I, I'm, it's almost like I'm feeling this like shift in narrative. You could see some of the mainstream press report on Bitcoin in a different way. You could see them sending journalists out to actually properly report on mining. Yeah. You know, properly report on what's happened in Texas, in ERCOT. You could see them, because we've had it with Forbes. We've had it with Forbes with some great work. Some right. great journalists doing some great work, properly reporting Bitcoin. And so that narrative shift could come off the back of this. 
Also, every institutional investor who looks to Larry Fink, who a few years ago said we need to be ESG compliant, now we'll be thinking we need some Bitcoin in our portfolio. Right. It's a huge shift. It's a big signal. And and again, because of who Larry Fink and BlackRock are, it's like a huge, huge signal. I think that's undeniable. I also think this is the beginning of what hyper-Bitcoinization looks like. Um, you know, like people want Bitcoin everywhere. Like that means it's going to be everywhere. It's not going to be like, we're not going to take over the world with, um, and like, you know, whether, whichever of the lofty goals, you know, a Bitcoiner has for Bitcoin, whether it's to replace gold or to be the world's reserve currency or to demonetize, you know, these, these monetary premiums like real estate and stuff. Um, that's not going to happen like on the back of Raspberry Pi nodes alone, right? Those are going to be there. It's going to be important backbone of the network, but like, you're going to need like market access vehicles, Right. You, you want and you want it. You don't just need it. You want it. If Bitcoin's going to be global money, it needs to be everywhere. It needs to be in every single system that uses money, right? Think about how many forms of fiat money there are, right? You got the, the credit cards, the debit cards, the the in flight, the ACH, the wires. Like that, we need all of that for Bitcoin. If if it's going to reach its you know the mountaintop of its loftiest ambitions, and so the ETF, like I mean, I think is a, is a very clear like positive thing for Bitcoin adoption. It's the inevitable institutionalization of Bitcoin, which you yeah. talked about in your thread. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the risks and the fears. Yeah. Okay. So in an ideal world, everyone buys their Bitcoin and self-custodies. When you're buying uh, the BlackRock ETF, you don't hold or own the asset. And look, if you're going to trust anyone, trust in BlackRock, partner with Coinbase to custody, a pretty good starting place. Yeah, you know, Coinbase have an almost unblemished record in custody. I say almost because I, I can't 100% say for their entire history if there's been any issues without having a look right now. I don't think they've ever been victim of a hack. I'm not aware. No. So, yeah. um, and like whatever you think of Coinbase, by the way, a lot of people listening will sure. say Coinbase. Fuck Coinbase. <laughs> Fuck Brian Armstrong. But, but they are... Yeah the kind of company that a company like BlackRock can work with. Right. And so you've got that exposure, but you don't have the asset. And we don't know if something funky might happen later on. Something regulatory funky might happen later on. We just don't know. Yeah. And now I know you think that's less of a risk, or you worry less about it. You said to me last night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, no, you absolutely don't own the underlying asset. If you buy GLD, you don't own the gold. You don't have gold coins, right? If you own an ETF, you don't even have the underlying stocks. If it's an index, right? Like you have shares in a vehicle that owns something else. So I totally agree with that. And and my aside from the, I'll talk about like the risk of you being rugged, but separately, even from that, like I, this is one of my main reasons I don't want to use these vehicles is because if we are right and Bitcoin becomes like global money, um, you don't have Bitcoin. <laughs> you have, you have ownership stake in some Bitcoin. Like, you know, like you, you you'd want the actual coins, at, even if you don't want them now, you just want financial exposure to that growth. Well, if it wins, like you're going to want it to not be an ETF. You're going to want it to be like your bank account where you can like spend the Bitcoin and right or use it. And an ETF is not going to allow you to do that, right? You're going to have to sell the shares. And, and then buy Bitcoin. Yeah. So like uh, that is uh, undeniably true. It is not a replacement for holding your own keys and, and, and holding your own coins at all. But And it is only financial exposure to the asset. It is not possessing the asset. So all the risks that come with that are, are clear, right? Like, like you said, the custody risk, 
yeah, you're saying, like, what if something crazy happens, like regulatory or the government, right? Executive Order 6103, yeah. right? So you had gold at 6102, and then some president comes out with the, the successor, and they say, uh, you know, all that Bitcoin, any Bitcoin that's not self, first of all, let's say they say Bitcoin's illegal. Okay, well, you can't get it from me if I'm self-custing, but, like, I guess you, you've turned me into a criminal overnight. Um, but they say any Bitcoin that's held in a custodian, like, that's fine but it can never leave. Yeah. <laughs> like it's stuck here forever now, right? Like, and, and we'll only let you trade like paper IOUs of it, right? Or pass them around like that. That's a real fear, I think. I don't think it's imminent in any way, um, but that's something to be protected against and cognizant of. I think that's why self-custody is o- always something that you should be trying to teach people. I think if Bitcoin does become global money, like people are going to be using it in a self-custodial way a lot more than today. Maybe not will it be a majority of the use. I don't know. Um, but there are red lines. Like when I'm supportive of institutionalizing Bitcoin, meaning bringing in these big capital uh, allocators and asset managers and stuff. I, I don't want to jettison the some important red lines, the freedom to hold your own keys, which mm-hmm. is sacrosanct and, and inviolable, um, the right to transact, the right to route transactions, the right to build and route blocks and submit blocks. Like these things should be permanently available, right? And protected. Um, it's more that you need the ability, like we, we want the ability, we need to preserve the ability to operate in a self-sovereign way, but that doesn't mean everyone will. I think mm-hmm. it's okay if other people don't, so long as you can. Yeah, and it came up the other night, and it was a good point, I think Preston might have said it, is that you know if you do buy this exposure and then you experience your 5X, 10X, yeah. you're going to want to learn about this thing. Right. And you will go down the rabbit hole. You will listen to a What Bitcoin Did or read a Bitcoin Magazine article or you know check out Marty Bent. You'll do that and you'll start to learn. You'll be like, hmm. Absolutely. I don't own this actual There's asset. nothing that makes people want to learn more than having skin in the game, right? Yeah. Having money in the game. And and like a widely available US Bitcoin spot ETF will make that unbelievably possible for so many more investors than ever today. I can't tell you how many people, I mean, you're telling, I'm having to tell some smart, you know, like wealthy, like, you know, older friend or whatever, like, they're like, how do I get this in my investment portfolio? And I'm like, buy it on Cash App. <laughs> I mean, and they will. And they, and, I mean, and I love Cash App, but it's like that. That's not the same. Of like, you know, these are people with money that have you know investment accounts. Like, they want it all there. They don't want it like all over in some apps and like, you know, let alone like on a seed plate like stored in their backyard. I mean, like that. There's, I think that there's just many pieces to the Bitcoin stack. And like the foundation is clearly self-sovereign everything, but like there's going to be productization and, and I mean, honestly, this is why like I'm even in favor of like wrapped Bitcoin. Like I want Bitcoin literally everywhere that people do money. I'm not a fan of wrapped Bitcoin. I mean, I don't have to pick it specifically, but I, I, again, I just, I think as long as there, like, there's going to be trade-offs for every way that you use Bitcoin. Of course. And and I want, and I want there to be more ways to use Bitcoin. So I just have to, we have to embrace like, um, you know, those more ways. The risk to your point about people learning is that if Bitcoin becomes so wildly um, adopted that now the Bitcoin, um, you know, diehards that, that are carrying and, and promoting these core messages are now a minority of the Bitcoiners, then if the the memes and narratives that convey the fundamental values of Bitcoin aren't widely propagated to the new entrants, then the features that express those values might not stay in the protocol. And this is the really important point. This is the crux of the issue, by the way. Yeah. I, 
wrote a tweet this morning stealing from your thread. <laughs> the Greg Maxwell. Yeah, what it's he a said. phenomenal. Um, yeah. yeah. So, in, uh, Can you it, bring it up? Yeah. What was it like in uh, maybe like November 2019 or so or October 2019? There was a post on the Bitcoin subreddit. Somebody said, what's the biggest threat to Bitcoin survival, mm. right? And, Everyone was like, oh, 51% attacks or a lot of people. No, if you, if you actually, no, no, I just <laughs> stole the that. pin tweet now. <laughs> um, uh, the biggest threat to uh, yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, ignorance and apathy, uh, exactly. But if, it, if you go to Alex's... Uh, okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. So Maxwell wrote, a far bigger risk to Bitcoin than 51% attacks is that the public using it won't understand, won't care, and won't protect the decentralization properties that make it valuable over centralized alternatives in the first place. A risk we can see playing out constant, constantly in the billion-dollar market caps of totally centralized blockchain systems, the ability demonstrated by systems with fake decentralization to arbitrarily change the rules from under the users is far more concerning than the risk that an expensive attack could allow some theft in the case of overly eager, finalized transactions. Yeah. Like, it's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's putting that onus onto us. Like, okay, fine, this is great. We have to sit down with Larry. Larry, how you doing, man? If you're listening, you want to come <laughs> what Bitcoin did. Um, but more importantly, the asset managers. Yeah. And the people who work there, right? I mean, this is one of the things I was right. I, I wrote later in this, um, this is from like our, our newsletter, basically, this thread. And I was saying, like, there are good Bitcoiners at these places. Yeah. Right. Institutions are people. They're made of people. And um, so we've got to empower those Bitcoiners. We've got to support them. Literally, in some cases, like, give them material. Like, if they have, I mean, I've worked with a lot of a lot of people, right? We are our clients and counterparties, our institutions. So I've mm. gone through this, right? You've got someone from a big asset allocator, right? Like a pension or an endowment. That, and, and you've got like a, they're an insurgent Bitcoiner trying to get that asset manager to, to do something with Bitcoin, right? And they're like, you know, maybe like a, uh, oftentimes it's like a middle, uh, like a middle management, right? It's very rare you get like a fidelity where it comes right from the top of the house, right? Usually there's like some Bitcoiners, they're trying to like agitate to do something in Bitcoin and like they will reach out. I will work with these people and help and give them the information, like help them sell it, right? Because, and, and help provide educational material about what Bitcoin is and why it matters and why it's interesting, right? And like, that's what, so again, rather than reject, like out of fear or like, because it's not cypherpunk, the black rocks of the world, like we need to be embracing them and teaching them and showing them the way. Um, because if we don't, like there is a risk that like, uh, you know, the, the, the masses will, I, I can imagine it's like, it could be like an election issue. It's like the year's like 2052 and like such and such is running for president campaigning on hard forking Bitcoin, right? Yeah, like like that's possible. No, like, you're totally right. So we've got to make sure that those narratives and, and the, the truth, the values of Bitcoin are understood and, and widely propagated. We need to be more inclusive about it, right? The, the very online, like toxicity just simply won't do. It might. <laughs> well, hold on. So, Look, these people want access to the underlying asset or yeah. the, an appreciation in the value of the asset. They, they understand at least that if I own this, my money might be worth more in the future, right? right? Cool. So, but there's a reason why the underlying asset has value. Right. And so we have to educate them that you could be destroying the value of the thing that you want. Right. Uh, and, and it's that whole, uh, I'm new to Bitcoin, I'm here to fix it. We've yeah, got to yeah, kind yeah. of avoid... All of that. We have to educate. And you know, someone like Matt O'Dell, to me, Matt O'Dell represents, to me, the best frontline defense of Bitcoin. 
Matt, Matt O'Dell is the shield of Bitcoin. He's my he's my flag bearer. Matt, I love you. You're a dick to me sometimes, but he is the flag bearer of of it. You know, every issue. He's 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 always on about the same things: self custody, self custody, self custody. And so, so we have to we have to communicate these things across. Now, I've loved and hated the toxicity all at the same time. I love the toxic Bitcoiners right. when they are referring and protecting Bitcoin. They're saying, move slowly, don't change things, don't yeah. fuck around with it. Totally. Yeah, I love all that. I detest the whole where it spreads out to non-Bitcoin things, risk, well, seed oils and all that bullshit. But I absolutely love them for that, and I think they're important. I, I, I think we need... They're great. I think we need some of those toxic people who are... I don't know, asset manager friendly. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think a better way to correct the way I was saying it was like, we just need some more inclusive attitudes about, so it's not that we have to, we shouldn't be changing the passionate defenses yeah. that we do for Bitcoin, whether that's like you said, at the protocol level about being very skeptical of changes and proposals and, and, and moving very slowly. Um, but we've got to take that content and package it for this yeah. new growing group of people, which is going to be like traditional asset managers, registered investment advisors, right? Like they're not going to, first of all, they're not going to be on Twitter. They might find the podcasts eventually. I think they will. A lot of people listen to podcasts, as you know. Yeah. Um, but like they're, we've got to put the content where they are, right? Like, and it's not like in it's not on subreddits and it's not on Twitter, right? It's not on, certainly not on threads. <laughs> threads. Have um, you been on threads? It's just terrible. I spent um, about 30, 35 seconds. Yeah. I went, just go out and fuck it's this. It's like a corporate, like, uh, like, like prison in there. Like, uh, well, and there's only the algo feed, right? So you're just literally being shown what like Instagram wants you to read. Yeah. It's basically all the dumb people on Instagram <laughs> who look pretty in their pictures it's them telling you the dumb shit. It's like I don't mind. I don't mind seeing your pictures, but I don't want to hear your dumb shit. Like, I mean, that's where Twitter's always had an edge, which is like there's just interesting thoughts, yeah. right? Like, um, but yeah, I, I, I the, do the toxic. Um, we, we use we're using the word toxic here as like a you know like a, mm -hmm. uh, a, a just a term. I don't mean that it's always like toxic, right? Yeah. But the the extremely passionate Bitcoin defenses like absolutely have to continue. Yes. What I want is for Bitcoiners to think about and and some and not everyone has to do it. Someone like me can try to do this. What I try to do is package that up for this new audience so that when the the masses join in Greg Maxwell's quote, right, like they they do care. They don't they do understand the decentralization properties. They don't support like waves of hard forks. I mean, to be even more specific, what a lot of Bitcoiners are worried about is that if you own the asset, like the ETF asset, that you're essentially outsourcing your governance of the network to a big asset manager. Mm -hmm. So then when a new BIP is proposed, you're going to have like, you know, all the core devs are going to talk about it and like act or knack it. And then you're going to have like BlackRock come in and be like, we're against it. Like on behalf of our 20 million Bitcoin owners. Right. Yeah. And, and so like, and that is perhaps a risk. Um, it, it almost certainly will happen at some point, right? Like there'll be a, an issue that the ETF asset managers will weigh in on. This show is brought to you by Ledin. Now from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin have a robust risk management strategy and always prioritize safeguarding clients' assets 
with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. Ledin also have a brand new product, Prime Loans, that allows private wealth clients to lend assets on their terms and by locking in for a fixed term, they can earn even more interest. Ledin has a team of seasoned experts ready to work with you through the entire process to ensure your assets generates yield while protecting your principal. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time to take your security more seriously because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. The Ledger suite of hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app. And honestly, it couldn't be easier. I have been a Ledger customer since 2017 and I absolutely love their products. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Also, today we have our lead sponsor, Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. And their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy. And they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers and are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Danny and I met with the team in Canada and were super impressed with their values, which align with us, so they are a great fit for what Bitcoin did. We have now been working with Iris Energy for a number of months across the podcast, films and events, and they're even sponsoring my football team, Ralph Bedford. It's been really great to work with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. So if you want to find out more about them, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Well, look, the block size wars were a disagreement between, would you say it's fair to say the block size wars was a disagreement between devs and those who had a business interest in how people would use Bitcoin? I think that's that's fair, yeah. Yeah, and the New York agreement, the New York agreement, which the devs didn't go to, yeah. was essentially those people who were building out the commercial services. Right. And you could then see, well, what is what is the next... What is the equivalent of that? It's the asset managers versus the devs. Totally possible. And, you know, that social consensus with the business-interested people, the, the Eric Voorhees, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Eric, but the Eric Voorhees, the Roger Veers, the, the various other people involved with that, they had a lot of influence. And and they couldn't they couldn't get momentum, so they right. said, we're going to fork Bitcoin. Ultimately failed, thank God. But you could see that happen. It could totally happen. Absolutely. And it, they, it they, almost, to be honest, it, it almost certainly will happen yeah. at some point. Um, that's why we're saying like you gotta we gotta get our Bitcoin message to these people, right? So that mm. so that like Fidelity, which is quite unique in this. I mean, having worked there for a lot of that period, I can tell you, and you can see it in their content, right? They are there are Bitcoiners there. There is a Bitcoin culture. It's driven from the top. Abby Johnson loves Bitcoin. Uh, she's amazing. She just loves Bitcoin. Bitcoin right? and tennis. Yeah, it's amazing. So like, but not everywhere, obviously, has that like culture of a Bitcoin 
backstory that Fidelity had. I mean, it's literally built into the culture, right? It was Bitcoin. It was Bitcoiners, not blockchain people that started the, the Bitcoin work there, right? It wasn't, um, but we've got to help those people at the Black Rocks and the others like be empowered, understand how to take the values and talk about it in a way that resonates with their clients and their leadership and whomever else like that. But a couple of mitigations here too. We don't have mm. to worry. It, it's probably inevitable that something like this will happen. And, and you know, I hope Bitcoin developers and node runners and miners, like I'm, I'm pretty confident in the game theory still working. And I don't think if the game theory work, it can't only work between the New York agreement businesses and the devs and miners in the 2016, 17 incarnation of Bitcoin. It's going to have to work when it's like the, the node runners are like fidelities and, and black rocks and they, and the game theory is going to have to work at that level too, or it simply won't work. Well, the game theory was caught because work, but it was close, man. There was a time. I yeah. remember, I remember, I remember was it a, was dicey. Yeah. That was a dicey summer. Yeah. And when you talk to some of the people, the backdoor chats, the threats that yeah. people went through, I'm not going to name people. People were telling me they were getting threatened. Yeah. You know, there were dicey but luckily times. it's global. So yeah. like, yeah, BlackRock's huge, but like there's still a whole other big world out there that may, probably wouldn't, may, may not support their, right, their proposal, whatever it is. It's just going to, it's, I don't know that all asset managers would necessarily band together the way most of those businesses did in the New York agreement. But it's the changing of the guard. Who, who are the big, you know, 10 right. years time, who are the big voices in Bitcoin who lead narrative? Will Jimmy's song be replaced by an, uh, CNN financial reporter. Right. Will, or, or a BlackRock analyst or something, you know, like a Zoltan Posar. Yeah. yeah. Will will this podcast be replaced by Joe Rogan as the voice for it? You know, who are those voices who have the influence? It's a fascinating question, right? Because again, if like you believe in like hyper Bitcoinization, some version of Bitcoin being like much more widely adopted, whether it's for digital gold or, or spending or whatever it is, like there's going to be a ton of other people. Like who's the big thought leader in like the U.S. dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Paul Krugman. I mean, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, like, you're, right? It's it's not like niche people that helped construct the technology behind it. Yeah. Right. It when it becomes so much more mainstream, like you're you're gonna have ma mainstream people are gonna be big in in Bitcoin. That is at the core of what Maxwell I think is warning about in 2019 in that post. And and it is a it it's 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 inevitable. It, like Bitcoin can't be successful without facing that problem. Like there's mm -hmm. a wall of worry. Bitcoin must climb. So I think it's. I mean th that's why things like I mean what Bitcoin did, Bitcoin Park, the Bitcoin Commons, the Pleb Labs, the the on the ground stuff that is you know explaining, teaching, educating new Bitcoin entrants. That is the the army of advocates. But they've got to go out and understand. In my view, that. That that institute that wall of worry must be climbed. There mm -hmm. will be institutions in Bitcoin. They're already here, and they can't. You, you don't. You're not going to be able to like get to that point with Bitcoin just sitting back saying like, "Oh, Bitcoin doesn't care. It's going to work out." No, dude. We've got to. We've got to help them understand why Bitcoin is valuable. And you got to scale the culture. Exactly. And this is a tricky. This is a really tricky area. So, uh, we've one of the things we struggled with with this podcast is that. Uh, I'm a British guy from Europe, <laughs> primarily dealing with an American audience. We speak the same language, but we're culturally very different. Okay, we see the world very different. Um, and uh, every time I'm 
making something, there are there is a co- coercive pressure to perhaps think a little bit more like a conservative or a libertarian in America, whereas we're a little bit more liberal over in Europe. This is like a audience capture, right? Yeah. The concept of like you end up like echoing back what your audience wants to hear. Not you specifically, but no. any any speaker, influencer, podcaster. Yeah, dude, you feel it. Yeah. It drags you in. It's like a gravity, and I yeah. f- we fight against it. We we me and Danny talk about it. You know, regularly, it's like, what is our honest, authentic position on this? Because Tim Paul was a great example for me. Tim Paul is somebody who I believe fundamentally gave up all his principles and is completely captured by his audience. He loves, he loves uh, blowing that dog whistle for his audience. Fine, you go ahead and do that, monetize that. We constantly find that and say, no, what is our, I mean, me and Danny, when he's in Australia, we speak every day for like an hour. We, and we talk these, through these things and say, yeah. are we being authentic? Are we being real? What I know is, is the people who are coming to Bitcoin next or now are not people who are sitting there thinking, let's bring down the government. We don't need government. All we need is border, uh, all we need is border forces. We can live in a perfectly voluntary society yeah. or free exchange and free markets. It's, yeah, I totally respect people's positions on that. Personally, I think it's naive and childish, but I totally respect their position. And I think it's a great influence on society, but it, that doesn't scale. Yeah. And we've got to scale I totally the agree. message of Bitcoin's principles and properties and the key pillars without wrapping it around these kind of like far out totally uh, libertarian ideas because it's not going to wash. And I think it is a neutral, pretty mainstream technology. It's very yeah. capable of of being part of a much more scaled mainstream culture because it's it's neutral and clean, right? Like most of this. Now, some people say it's like inherent, right? Like um, Stefan Levera, right? Who, yeah. Who's a friend too. And, Love and him. He, he believes that it is inherently a libertarian technology that you, you almost can't be into Bitcoin and not like go down that political viewpoint. I, I don't know. I think it's a lot of people. He's not wrong. That is a well-worn path. A lot mm. of people go down that route, but um, it's not, I don't think it is. I think it's a pretty neutral protocol and it absolutely has to be for everyone. Um, otherwise, we're going to end up with a, a niche, a, you know, useful but niche monetary asset and technology that's mainly used by like techno libertarian nerds, and like that's not good enough. That to me, Bitcoin's so much more than that. It'd be a huge shame if it's relegated only to that niche, yeah. niche user base. I like Stefan. Stefan more than anyone else has introduced me to libertarian ideas. Yeah, uh, I th- <laughs> think he struggles with my worldview, but like uh, he's introduced me to these ideas, and I've read a lot of things he's recommended to me. I can totally see how you paint Bitcoin as a libertarian idea. But Jason Myers just written a book called The Progressive Case of Bitcoin. I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've heard it's really good. Fantastic. And he has explained how Bitcoin is a progressive idea. And you could write a conservative case of Bitcoin. Right. And what I'm saying is you can see Bitcoin through any lens you want, but libertarian ideas are principled and brilliant I would love more uh, libertarian influence in government, but it doesn't scale. By the way, there's some people listening now who are fucking furious. <laughs> they people are, are like so hitting their car angry. dashboards right they're now. They're like on YouTube. They're going, fuck you, P. McCormick, you <laughs> fucking cuck. But, but the truth is, is that I, I go out there and talk to these people and, and, yeah. and I talk to people about libertarian ideas. I talk to them about Bitcoin. I talked about uh, CBDCs. Yeah, I talk about all these ideas. I know what people are buying and what not, what they're not buying and what they're interested in. And it's baby steps. Yeah, there's this crazy utopianism where some people think that like 
when Bitcoin wins, like magically, like we'll all become farmers and like there'll be an agrarian Jeffersonian style society where everything is fixed. And it's just like, that's t absolutely insane that you would think that. And it's weird cult-like propaganda to think that, right? The reality is like the humanity is an exceptionally diverse, incredibly urban, right? Like there, there's never gonna be one ideology, I don't believe, that like takes over the entire world, okay? So you're not gonna like win, right? So it's got, if you want something to be used by a lot of people because you know it can help them, you've got to make it accessible to a diverse group of people, whether, you know, from backgrounds, experiences, geographies, and ideologies. The comments on this are going to be hilarious. <laughs> I, am, I am not reading the comments on this one. I'll be in there fucking replying to me when Danny will message me in the morning. He's like, Pete, get out the comments. Get out the comments. <laughs> the amount of times I have to tell him off for shouting in the comments. <laughs> like, you fucking idiot. Don't fucking listen to my show. But, no, but like scaling the culture... Yeah. Is, is an important thing. And this is hard because it's a global decentralized culture. So it's yeah. not like, let's get the culture on the phone and like get everyone on the same page. Well, that's why the principles are important. So you've got it in. Can you bring up Alex's thread again? Yep. You, you nailed it perfectly. Um, honestly, it's a brilliant thread. I'm, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, right. What happens when these... Uh, when these market access vehicles are successful and bring in millions of new owners with no knowledge of Satoshi, <laughs> yeah. self-custody, decentralization, or other attributes that make Bitcoin what it is, boiling it down further, mainstream adoption, do we want it? And so this is actually already happening. Yeah. So I can give anecdotal evidence, right? If if we were making this show in 2019 and I have Jimmy Song on the podcast, I love Jimmy, it's, it's one of our biggest shows of the month, right? Now... Right now, if we make a bunch of shows this month, if I have Lynn Alden is going to be the biggest show of the month, right. or Michael Saylor is going to be the biggest show of the month, or Luke Woman is going to be the biggest show of the month. But I can get in some random uh, economists and make a show about the macro economy, and Bitcoiners don't even know them, and that's going to do more numbers than Adam Back, who was cited in the white paper. And I'm not discrediting anyone here. Yeah. Adam Back is a fucking legend of Bitcoin, and I love him. But the point is, is these people coming in now they don't know who Adam Back is. When Bitcoin was a small community, everyone knew who Jimmy was, Adam, Safedine. When new people come in, they've got no context. So they go on Twitter or they go on a podcast and they find who resonates with them and they listen to them. Right. And it's a really important issue because you know, when this jumps out of being what Bitcoin did and Rogan's talking about it every week and you know, Logan Paul's talking about it every week, who are they going to have on talking about Bitcoin? Right. Are they going to have Kanye on talking about Bitcoin? Or are they going to have, right. you know, are they going to have like, I don't know, some fucking idiot who we've all rejected? Right. And where does those conversations go and what do people learn? So this scaling of the cultures is so damn important, but it's got to be done in a way that's, like you said, it's got to be accessible. Yeah, it's got to be inclusive too. It's got to be something that everyone feels like they can find a piece of to get to, and get through that introduction to those core values. I don't, dude, I don't know, like, like, it's you're going to see people talking about Bitcoin you've never heard of. It's going to happen. And, and and what I worry about a lot, too, is like, you know, we go through these cultural shifts in Bitcoin, right? We talk about the block size wars. I think there was a very online, we all went through a very online period during COVID, right? So Clubhouse, you know, I started the Bitcoin Clubhouse, uh, which has like 500,000 members. I think that's like more like monthly active users than the entire app has now. But um, we were all just like, you couldn't go out, right? So we, And then so the podcasting got huge. I bet you guys did huge numbers Crushed during COVID, it, right? Um, I, I went down, like, I'd been a fan of Marty and Matt, but I went down, like, an insane, like, 
TFTC rabbit hole. I went back and like listened to like a hundred episodes again, cause you're just like at home. Right. And, but so I think even then people got like a little crazy, like, and, and that's when you started to see a lot of new entrants, rightly so, cause you had the COVID crash and then you had Paul Tudor Jones and then you had the having, and then you had a, a massive run. Right. And so tons of new Bitcoiners got involved in 2020 and 2021 and they were, everyone was a little stir crazy, like a little wild. And it's my friend, Dennis Porto calls this like that you can, you have the zealotry of the convert, right? And this is true in religion as well, right? Like you have the newer sects of religions tend to be much more radical, right? Because they're, it's like you're showing up late to the party and you've got to prove your bona fides, right? They've just shown up. They're they're like all about the current thing, the current culture. They don't know those history. They don't mm-hmm. know those uh, the OGs. They don't know the reasons why the things are the way they are today. Um, and that that's who ends up educating a lot of the, the next new people rather than like, you know, people with a deeper perspective and a longer sort of view. Um, so that, I mean, that's what we, we are, we're doing. That's what we're all trying to do. Um, well, that's why it'll be important to have your Marty Bents and your Stefan Laveras and your Matt O'Dell's constantly at the forefront. You know, those educators who maintain, like they're far better at maintaining their principles than I have ever been. And I'm happy to admit that. Like we make a mainstream show and we're cool about that. We want the show to be a nice entry point. But we talked about it last night. You know, the people who've listened to our show and they're not complaining, take the baton Go and listen to Stefan. Go and listen to, or just go straight away. Those people are going to maintain those core principles better than anyone. And God help us if we lose them. God help us if they get buried by fucking Jake Paul talking about Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it could happen. It's going to be weird, man. I mean, it, this, this is what I was like, you know, we don't know. I was like, my alarm bells are going off, not for those same reasons that people were worried about, you know, BlackRock fork choice rules and stuff like that, right? But it was it was this. It was the scaling of the culture question. And like, we don't know. I mean, let's hope. Let's hope some some of the strong principled Bitcoin voices like make it through to the other side when Bitcoin is like, you know, widely adopted. It like, might be might be Danny Knowles. <laughs> I hope not. You might be the forefront of uh, <laughs> like the U.S. Treasury Secretary is going to be like the biggest, <laughs> vote, you know, whoever, you know. Let's 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 get like let's get Dan- well, I guess we, let's get Danny to like be the you know His Majesty's Treasurer like in you know thirty years like it'll be the Bitcoin like when it, when Bitcoin is widely adopted. Dude, that could, that stuff's viable and it could get fucking weird. Can you imagine yes. the like the next Treasury Secretary being a Bitcoiner? Dude, absolutely. This is what's going to again. It may not be inevitable, but if Bitcoin is going to be successful, like many people believe, that's this is the exact type of stuff. It could be in presidential campaign issues, like well, it the, is a presidential campaign issue now, right? That's true. Vivek, so we're already RFK, yeah, yeah. yeah. DeSantis have all put Bitcoin. They've on all the commented ballot. on it. Yeah, they've all put Bitcoin on the ballot. Yeah, and so their nominees now, you know, the next generation. But but if. If the BlackRock thing is huge, which we think it will be, with Vanguard investing in every mining company out there, you know, if it does what we think it might do over the next few years, whoever replaces Jay Powell will have to know and understand Bitcoin. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's crazy, to, but you're 100% right. I mean, the, the, the central banks of the world, the big banks of the world, the treasuries of the world, like if Bitcoin is mega successful, like it's going to be a major part of the economy. 
they'll have to reckon with. I mean, I, and that's what, I think that's what most Bitcoiners want. And just like, I feel like there's a blind spot where they think it's going to happen like solely through like Raspberry Pi full nodes and like regular users DCAing. Like, no, dude, like the big boys are going to be in, if, if it's that successful, there's going to be big, big players involved. And that's where it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to get weird. Let me tell you, like, let me tell you where I hope, what I hope and where this goes. And this, the, this is one of the reasons I like a BlackRock coming in because if Bitcoin then ends up shooting through 100,000, 200,000, everybody is going to be talking about it. I know it through every bull run, right? All my friends, everyone in Bedford knows I'm the Bitcoin guy. <laughs> I hear from them once every four years. Yeah, yeah. Once every four years, Bitcoin's like 40,000, 50,000 last time and like 17,000 the previous time. They're like, Pete, am I too late? Should I get Bitcoin? Yada, yada. And that's, it's always the same, right? And the same is going to happen again. Yeah. But the next wave is... It's, it's going to be everyone, yeah. everyone asking about it. And if everyone gets on board, and I'll be saying to them, by the way, the more important thing is you to learn about Bitcoin than buy it. But anyway, if, if, if every fucker gets on board, I think this might end up killing the CBDC dream, the CBDC wet dream that the BIS had that we discussed with Marnie the other day or all these other central banks have. And then that's where you beat China because we know this is fucking dystopian technology. We know it's horrific. We know we don't want it. And we talked, me and Danny talked about it for a long time, Marty and Balaji talked about it, that you cannot beat China at CBDCs. They're better at surveillance. They're better at control. But you can beat them at Freedom Tech. Totally agree with that. And if the US leads the way, the rest of the world will follow. I think that's the, whether it is literally on a CBDC or if it's Bitcoin as the counterweight, um, yeah, the way to compete with China is not to do what China's doing. You it's to do what it. it's to offer an alternative. Yeah, like if, even if you were going to do a Fed CBDC, like make it like private and secure, and like make it directly competitive. Nobody wants like massive like you know renminbi liability to the Chinese Communist Party. That's crazy. If you give somebody a better global money that they can rest assured is secure, they would choose that every time. And look, America has historically loved going around the world and trying to spread <laughs> democracy by dropping bombs on people, and it hasn't really worked. Yeah, let's do it without the bombs, yeah. and let's drop some, like, you know, open dimes. Yeah, instead. drop some open dimes, drop some sats. Yeah. Just give people freedom money, yeah. and you, I think that will drive the world that we all want to see, which is a more democratic, fair, open, and free society. And, uh, yeah, look, we criticize utopian thinking, and I have utopian thinking, but... Like we're in this weird fourth turning phase, right? We have war in in Europe right now. War can spread quick and yeah. fast. And God, I, I you know, I, I never thought we would see a large scale war in my time. And I'm at that point as a father thinking it's a non-zero possibility. And so let's get freedom money out there and hopefully that can be yeah. a tool that stops all this. And it is very utopian thinking. I just fucking hope it happens. No, I mean, I, you should strive for to build a better world. I don't think that that is too utopian. It's, it's like when you think, though, that like all the world's ills will be solved, <laughs> right? Um, so, but I, I agree. It's, it's a scary time. I think like it's a multipolar time. The dollar is clearly not going to be like, you know, the 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 only big reserve currency, like we're probably going to have some kind of like multipolar situation, like China and Russia and India, all pretty ascendant in various ways. Like, right. Literally war in Europe. Right. And, and I was thinking, I looked at this, I look at this war and I'm like looking at world war one and I'm like, it was just a couple like, you know, like, like straws to break the camel's back on those alliances that turned that small 
incident into the global world war. And I, I'm worried about that too. I, I think it's reasonable to be worried about it. And I do think cryptographic security, like cryptographic money, right? Bitcoin, decentralized, self-sovereign money that's global. Like that's that's a powerful, I think, counterbalance to some of the um, authoritarian or even or just like, you know, em- empire building that you see in the world. All right. Well, listen, Larry, if you're listening, don't <laughs> fuck this up. Maintain these principles of decentralization and you might stop World War Three. <laughs> Alex, Perfect I summary. cannot believe we haven't done this before. This is fucking brilliant. Hey, thank you so much, Pete, for having me, Danny. Appreciate it. Um, I'm a big fan of the pod. So. Well, we will do it again soon. Again, thanks to everyone at Galaxy. Thank you to Amanda Fabiani. Fabiano. Uh, to Sebastian, to Novo, to everyone there supporting what we're doing. Um, I will write a rap for the next one and I will humiliate <laughs> myself as long as Danny does one too. I am not rapping. When you're in New York, you got to come on Galaxy Brains, dude. We'll do the rap there. We'll, we'll swap raps. Dude, we, I will come on Galaxy Brains. We will go and hang out with Thomas at Pub Key. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, grab a beer. Love uh, it. Love it, man. Uh, where do you want people to go? Check out our content, galaxy.com slash research. Follow me on Twitter, Intangible Coins. Um, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I would say that's... That's the gist of it. We got a lot of stuff. Thank you so much. I love this. Okay. What do you think of this one? What do you think of the BlackRock ETF? Obviously, don't buy the BlackRock ETF. Buy Bitcoin. Secure it yourself. Take self-custody. We all know this shit. Either way, there are people out there. They're going to buy the ETF. They're going to pump billions into it. It's going to happen. If it comes, it's happening. So what does it mean? I think this is an important signal for Bitcoin. I think this can drive hyper-Bitcoinization. I think it can do it in a good way. Hopefully, most people who get a taste for the ETF, they go down the rabbit hole, they buy Bitcoin, they self-custody. That's what we've got to push. We've got to maintain the principles of Bitcoin too. Anyway, let me know what you think. I'm about to head back to the UK. I'm going to be flying back this evening, back for the football tomorrow, last preseason friendly against Moulton before our season starts on August the 1st. Any questions about this or anything else, drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcointid.com. And again, thank you to everyone in Argentina. You people are amazing. Right. See you all Wednesday.